Sometimes invitations are easy to handle. Like if your bully invited you to hang out with them one-on-one, or your, well, let's put it nicely, eccentric coworker invited you and only you to a private birthday party in the middle of the night for their pet boa constrictor, you might be crazy to accept those invitations. Easy and hard nose to both of those for sure, right? On the other hand, there are probably invitations that would be once-in-a-lifetime experiences that it would be crazy to turn down. An invitation to meet your favorite celebrity, or to travel to a beautiful bucket list destination, or experience some amazing adventure that only a few people ever get to do, well, you'd be crazy to turn those ones down. Of course, it might be specific to individual people and depend on our personal interests, which invitations we would want to accept or reject. Not everyone might be interested in meeting that celebrity. Skydiving or mountain climbing isn't for everyone either. Today we're looking at another parable our Savior told us. This one's called the Parable of the Wedding Banquet. In another simple story, Jesus shows us that an invitation, like his, would be insane for absolutely anyone to reject. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a king who is planning a wedding banquet for his son. He's so excited about the love his son has found that he wants to throw the best party ever and he's sparing no expense. He has his servants prepare this amazing feast. They finally slaughter and prepare the oxen and fattened cattle, animals that had been well kept and saved for years and years in order to produce the very best meat. Finally, this is the time to use them. And he breaks out the finest vintages of wines and best side dishes and decorates his great hall. Everything is ready, so he sends out his servants to let everyone on the guest list know it's time for the celebration. The table's set, the DJ has the dinner music going. It's time. Every single guest, though, rejects the invitation. When the servants return to the king with the news, he acts with a lot of restraint. This is a king. You don't say no to a king, but he takes it. He sends his servants back to the invited guests, and this time he sends them with reinforcements and a more urgent message. Everything is ready. The special meal is prepared and getting cold. Please come and enjoy the banquet. Again, the invited guests ignore the invitation completely. Some of them have things they feel are more important than dining and celebrating with the king. One has some work in his field. Another has to attend to his business. But worse yet, some of the guests, completely unprovoked and for no good reason whatsoever, do the unthinkable. They attack and mistreat the servants of the king killing some of them. What would you do if you were the king? I mean, it's insulting enough to have your invitation rejected after putting in all the effort to prepare such a wonderful banquet. Insult is one thing, though. Murdering your servants who did nothing but bring your invitation? That's insanity. Totally evil. The king is understandably enraged and sends his army to the homes of the guests who has murdered his servants. The army completely destroys them killing the murderers, and burning their homes and their city to the ground. Now that justice has been served, the king still has an empty banquet hall and no one to celebrate with. So he sends his servants out once again. This time he tells them, The banquet is ready, but those I invited didn't deserve to come. Go and invite anyone you can find. The servants do exactly that. They go out into the streets and gather literally everyone they can find. It didn't matter if they were nobles or merchants or peasants or slaves or foreigners. It didn't matter if they are upstanding citizens or troublemakers. The servants invite everyone in just the same. 
and finally the hall is packed with guests to celebrate the happy day and enjoy this delicious, wonderful feast. When the king enters the hall and starts greeting guests, however, there's one last problem, and really it's a breach of wedding etiquette. Everyone else had followed the dress code, it was dressed appropriately, but one man is there in just his street clothes. Friend, the king asks, how did you get in here like that? The man has absolutely no answer, no excuse, he just stutters speechlessly. Without an adequate explanation, the king has his attendants tie the man up and throw him out of the hall, and the party continues without him. Now there's a bit of challenge to preaching this parable to you today, because just like the last two we've talked about, the original audience for this was the religious leaders of Israel in Jesus' time. That means that, again, this week we have a parable which has its most potent meaning for people who are not us. This is a continuation of a conversation that Jesus was having with the elders and chief priests on Tuesday of Holy Week. And when we remember that, the interpretation gets pretty easy. The king, obviously, is God himself. His son is Jesus, and the wedding banquet is heaven. This is a familiar and often repeated picture of heaven in the Bible. Heaven's often described as this wedding feast between Jesus and his bride, the church. This is the same feast that Isaiah described in such amazing and tantalizing terms in our first reading for today. The original guest list is the nation of Israel. These were the people who were physical descendants of Abraham and the nation that God chose to carry the line of the Savior. As a nation, they had the special honor of being used by God to fulfill his promise to send a Savior to the world. And that came with some serious privileges. They were the ones to whom God most clearly and directly revealed his saving will. They were the ones who were, if you will, the first to be invited to the party. But they didn't respond well to this invitation, however. Not all of them individually. There are examples of plenty and plenty of faithful people from the children of Israel. But as a whole, they ignored God's invitation to believe in a savior from sin. They had other concerns. They were worried about their status in the world. They built themselves up in their own hollow self-righteousness. They were worried about the Romans or the Assyrians or the Babylonians. God was patient and sent more messengers with the invitation, but not only did they continually ignore and reject the invitation, they even beat and mistreated and killed those messengers, God's prophets. Their fate for this rejection is clear from the parable. It's destruction. And sadly, destruction is a familiar part of Israel's history. Whether it's the cycle of uh, destruction throughout the period of the judges, or the breakup of the short-lived combined nation kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom being carried off to be lost forever in the empire of Assyria, the southern kingdom being defeated and carried into captivity in Babylon, even the destruction of the temple by the Romans only a few decades after Jesus spoke this parable. Over and over, the nation that was supposed to be God's chosen people, the ones who had the first invitations and God's most clearly revealed will, has ignored God's message and suffered because of it. And worse than any of that is the spiritual destruction that comes to those who ignore God's invitation to faith. That leads to eternal separation from God and no place in his banquet hall, no place in heaven. God has prepared a feast, though, and he wanted people to enjoy it. So he didn't sacrifice fattened cattle and oxen, though, as valuable as those would be. He sacrificed his only son. So this isn't a meal that you would let go to waste. You can't. So when the people of Israel rejected his invitation, 
decided to follow their own ways and ignore his, he sent his servants with his invitation to others, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And they fill his hall gladly and willingly. And of course there's this little weird bit about the guy who wasn't dressed right, but we'll get to that in a bit. The meaning of this parable would have been incredibly clear to the elders and chief priests for what it was. It was a call-out. They knew as well as we do what Jesus was saying with this parable. Remember the words we heard Jesus say just a few weeks ago? The prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. The danger with this for us today is to get a little high and mighty, or us versus them. After all, here we are. We're the ones who are in God's house this morning. Why? Well, because we were invited. And we accepted that invitation, and we're so thankful that we were and that God led us to accept that invitation. By faith, worked through the power of God's wonderful gospel, we can see this invitation for what it is, an offer that we'd be insane to refuse, an invitation that would be crazy to reject. Just like we can almost start to drool thinking about the best meal ever, our favorite foods, and the best delectable things, our faith eagerly anticipates and almost even drools for the joys of heaven. You aren't the people who rejected this invitation. You aren't the people who killed the messengers. You aren't even the people who had the invitation in the first place in this story. You're the ones who were invited in the, in the streets when God called you. It didn't matter, what, matter whether you were good or bad either. You weren't invited because of who you were or what you did. You were invited because God wanted you at his feast. That being said, while we aren't the original audience, and this parable doesn't directly condemn us the way it did the original audience, I think that there are some things that we can take away from this parable that would be worth a few more minutes of our time and keep us from maybe getting us versus them. I think this parable can help us be better informed as we live in a world that, by and large, rejects God's gracious invitation. I mean, does that rejection ever just drive you nuts? We know what God is offering. He's offering what sin-sick souls need. He's offering peace that our hearts are longing for from the day we were born. He's offering comfort and love and eternity. That's his invitation. And it seems crazy to us, and rightfully so, that anyone would ever reject that invitation. And yet so many do. So think for a second. What might lead you to reject or decline an invitation? One reason might be you're just not interested because it's not something you care about. You just can't be bothered to go to a baseball game because you just don't care about it and it's a kind of boring three hours for you. It's not that important to you. It's not worth your money. It's You can think of a bunch of better ways to spend your time and energy. Apathy and disinterest is a huge reason people decline God's invitation of faith. They simply don't care. They've got things that they feel are more important. They're focused on all the earthly matters. What will happen to Israel? What about the economy? What about my future? What about my kids? These are all certainly important, but it's like the people in the parable who had to go take care of their field or their business. At the end of the day, these make flimsy excuses for saying no to a king. And if we're being honest, we have those same temptations, even, even as we've latched on to God's invitation. We're tempted to, uh, just the same, put other things as more important. God invites us to be with him in his word, and we take him for granted and skip Bible study when we're busy. God wants 
to be with us as we worship together as a church family, and it's awful easy to find excuses that are flimsy at best not to take him up on that invitation. At the end of the day, the answer we're tempted to give God in response to his invitation still is, no thanks, I don't want to. You might also reject an invitation if it's from someone you actively dislike. Your bully invites you to hang out, you might just say no, right? Here's the other group in the parable. They didn't just reject the invitation, but lashed out against the king by killing his servants. Clearly, there's some hostility there. And you can see plenty of hostility directed at God and his invitation in the world. Just look at the discussion around events in Israel this last week. Anytime you see someone mention how radical Islam might be part of the problem, you'll find others who are very quick to correct them. You mean all religions are the problem. God says things in his word that are just flat out offensive to our sinful nature. So we should expect unbelievers to be offended and act hostile in response. Why would they want to hang out with a God who tells them that they're doing the wrong thing? And again, that temptation is still living in each of us as well, even as we love our Lord. Our sinful nature still lurks in our hearts and hates God for telling us that we can't sin all the ways we want to. We struggle to subject our understanding and our desires and our reason and our wills to God's as well. And then there's that guy with the dress code issue. What's up with that, right? Jesus is telling us that even those who want to accept God's invitation and want to be part of the party can still end up excluded. Here's a man who came to the banquet to celebrate, and yet he ends up with his hands and feet tied and he's thrown out into the darkness. Problem with him is isn't that he rejected the invitation. It's that he wanted to accept it on his own terms. Everyone else who was there seemed to have no problem dressing how the king wanted. This guy, not so much. He ignored the dress code. He does his own thing, and he ends up with the same fate as those who rejected the invitation outright. Jesus is showing us that there is no room in God's heavenly banquet for people who want to be there on their own terms. That means people who want to talk out of both sides of their mouth and accept God's invitation but refuse to leave behind some sin that God would much rather them leave behind. That means people who want to go to heaven but don't want to admit that they're only able to go there by God's grace alone and would rather take some credit or some control themselves. That means people who want to be part of the party but don't want to live the way God calls us to live in baptism and the way we promise to live at our confirmations. All of this can directly affect our work in God's kingdom. You see, we're not the only the ones who are invited. We're also the ones who are called to do the inviting. Jesus sent his disciples and all believers with this invitation, right? Believe in Jesus and be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we are struggling to accept the invitation ourselves, how do you think it's going to look to others when we invite them? Come to church. I mean, I don't really love it. I don't go there that much. It's not that important to me. It's not that great. But I guess I'm supposed to invite you, so come, I guess. Not a compelling invitation, right? So what do we do? The solution is first to look at the consequences, honestly. Recognizing the urgency of God's invitation is critical, and it destroys all of our apathy. To fail to accept God's invitation is to face utter destruction. There's no event or anything or anyone else in the world that could possibly be more important than being at this banquet. It shows the futility of hostility as well. 
fighting against a king just doesn't go well. He can send his army to destroy us if he wants. Jesus himself concludes the parable with kind of a warning, right? Many are invited, but few are chosen. The fact that only few are chosen can snap us out of poor priorities and foolish hostility. We can't stop there, though, because that's not the full story. The next part of the solution is just to look at God's love that is so evident for us. Here is a king who is patient. Even as his invitation is rejected, he still calls back. And he's prepared a banquet and he's invited you and me. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we're people who didn't have the original invitation, even though we're people who may be good, may be bad, it doesn't matter. He's invited us. Even though we can't even accept the invitation ourselves, he's led us to believe and promised that we get to be part of his celebration. Many are invited, but few are chosen, then becomes this amazing comfort. Do you realize how blessed you are to be part of the few? What an honor, what a blessing. You are one of God's chosen. By God's grace, you've recognized the importance and and the graciousness and the beauty of his invitation. What a relief and a comfort. All you can do is thank God and enjoy his promise and serve him while you wait eagerly for the full enjoyment of his wonderful, delightful banquet in heaven. And how much more powerful will your witness be then? I mean, how much more eager will you be to be in worship and Bible class and spend time with God in prayer and personal devotion? How much more eager will you be to share that invitation with others, invite them to come to our church? To hear God's invitation, that's for them too. An invitation that, when you show it to them, they'll see is crazy, insane to reject. Amen.